You know what happens, strange, straggling strummer, when you interrupt Chris Jericho? Hmm? You know what happens, weird, wandering wayfarer, when you walk through Chris Jericho's promo? You know what happens, Daffy, Drifter, Dandy? You just made the list! gentlemen we welcome you in our recorded glory to the very last episode of 2021 of the greatest wrestling podcast in the world this is give me the book my name is mike alloy with me as always the el guapo of professional wrestling commentary and stand-up comedy satoyo here back again with mike alloy guys thank you so much give me the book our last episode of the year hope you guys are staying safe we have a very fun episode for you Yes, yes. I hope, uh, please, you know, uh, maintain social distancing. Please get your boost shots. Please stay safe out there. I hope uh, everybody listening will be able to enjoy their Christmas, their New Year's, whatever you are celebrating, and make sure that you and your loved ones are safe during this time. Uh, we are going to talk about the things that we enjoyed in wrestling this year uh, and a few things that we did not. But before we do that, Satoyo, winner has come and gone. Uh, AEW ran their special show. Uh, they've also had some other things I know you want to discuss. So, Satoyo, let's talk AEW. How did you enjoy Winter is Coming special? I enjoy Winter is Coming. It's about, I mean, the thing I remember, I always look at it, like, especially with these types of events, these made-for-TV pay-per-views, basically, I do compare it to its predecessor. So I compared it to Winter is Coming from last year. And um, I enjoyed Winter is Coming last year. Uh, I appreciate it. I thought it was a very, very cool event. And um, I can say that while I felt that uh, this last year, I think, flowed better, I think. Uh, but this year is one I think, weirdly, I enjoyed a little bit more. So, mm -hmm. so yeah. So I, but, I, but I did enjoy it. Um, but I think last year's pacing was a bit better. But also, I mean, not even so much last year, you know, we were lucky to have anyone there. So it's kind of like we were just thankful, you know what I'm saying? So, yeah. Well, yeah, last year's was, you know, it was more of a normal show and it um, ended, obviously, with a, with a bang with uh, Kenny yes. winning the title. And in a, in a shocking fashion, turning heel at the same night uh, to win the said title, uh, kind of sending off, I would say, the storylines for the next year. I don't think anything like that impactful happened on this year's show. And, of course, with the pacing-wise, I mean, we did have a match that lasted a whole hour um, and in the draw. I liked the match, wasn't a fan of the booking decision, Don't, didn't think it needed to last the draw, didn't think it needed to last an hour. Um, I think uh, the story that – I like the story that they told, but the story being, as far as I can tell, let me know if I'm getting it wrong, 
that you have your babyface champion kind of withstand the best wrestler on the roster, the best wrestler in the world, withstand yes. all the punishment, and then, you know, not only just survive, but actually come back and hit the buckshot lariat on yes. him. But I don't understand why not just have him win in the end. You know, like, what's the uh, what's uh, the use? Unless you try to run him back, in which case I'm, I just saw him going out. I'm not trying to see you running back anytime soon. So here's why I think what they did was solid, uh, because it's not uncommon to do an hour Broadway. It is in this it, era. It used to not be. And yeah, it used to be for the hot shows, too. So, so I do appreciate, one, I appreciate a good match that can go an hour. I do appreciate that. I think the last one that I remember of note on basic television or on cable television was Chris Benoit versus Triple H. Didn't really enjoy that one, to be honest with you. Uh, that was an Iron Man match. Didn't really like it. Um, but this one I did appreciate um, because, again, of the story they told, because as da Brian Danielson has come in, I mean, he's kind of really established himself as the best wrestler in the world, and they have booked him as such. He is the American Dragon. So how do you withstand the American Dragon? Kenny, could bear Kenny couldn't even you know, beat him. So it's, so it takes me back to like the flare steamboat type of uh, situation where, you know, the first match they had steamboat one, or at least for the, the world title at the time, second match, they had two out of three falls goes 55 minutes and some odd seconds. And then they had wrestle war 89 where they only went like 20 some odd minutes, but that was generally considered the best match of the entire trilogy for a long period of time. Many people felt that was the greatest match that, of, of all times. So I do, um, I appreciate the hour Broadway. I like the match um, a good deal. There were some things in it that I'm like, this doesn't particularly make sense, but that's kind of pro wrestling now. There are things that are just going to be like nonsensical in nature. It, you know, can, like can, a, can I make a guess on what this? We didn't talk about this before the podcast. No. I want to know, see if, if this is what you're talking about. Are you talking about uh, Hangman uh, taking a, a, a DDT on the concrete yes. 50 minutes yeah. into the match, the match and then over. shaking it off? Yeah. Okay, yeah. cool. The match is it's over. It's done. It's finished. 50, yeah, at that point, you should really, yeah. but but uh, but I have to say, like that's just kind of how the game is now. That's fine. Um, but I do no, you do run it back because it's like, you know, the champion didn't lose the title but didn't win the match, and I'll never be mad so much at, like as a hot babyface champion going up against who is perceived to be the best and taking the best to their limit, and in theory getting much like with Sting and Ric Flair in 88, where it was like, they went 45, they were supposed to go an hour. There were some, there were some time uh, constraints there, but like, because of that, it was, you went up against the best wrestler in the world and the best wrestler in the world, not only couldn't beat you, they were compromised. So what does that mean running it back? Can you, can you as a professional wrestler get better? Can you learn more? Because sometimes that is, you have to overcome this obstacle as the baby face, right? So you have to give a baby face like him something to overcome. And let's not be mistaken, them running it back will be a different match. In all likelihood, it will be a better match. And in all likelihood, it won't go an hour. But for the purposes of seeing a good hour on television, I won't complain. However, I do know it's going to change the entire pacing of the show going forward. Uh, not a complaint because I did enjoy the match. I do wonder what, what you said. Um... What does the baby's face have to overcome? He that's my point. That's one of my problems with the match. He overcame, he was through the punishment and he hit his finisher. The baby face, the baby face is the moral, the, the moral character in this. 
the babyface has to win. The babyface has to get the job done. Babyface didn't do that. Babyface successfully defended the title against a wrestler that is considered by everyone in the world to be the best. So it's like on paper, everyone's like, no, Danielson is better than Paige. Like Danielson, like that's how it's perceived. Like, did not he just prove that he's not because he had the match one? If there's no, like Danielson got saved by Talon in the draw and usually yeah. you would do the reverse. Like yeah. if you did the no, reverse, no, 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 not for the, the heel, oh, not, not the reverse, sorry, but if you had a heel champion survive by draw, now you got a story. Now you have Babyface saying, saying, hey, I had you beat. You got lucky because this was a draw. Let's run it back. In this case, what the, the... But the heel, the heel, the beauty of it is the heel always has a way out. The heel can always sit there and say, I mean, you say you can say you beat me, but did you beat me? You didn't. You can say you had me beat, but did you? I was going towards the ropes. You were coming after me. Like, there's all these. So they do a good job with nuance in that. So I always think, of course, you can run it back because Danielson has shown through this angle how quickly he can just flip the switch as needed to make the story compelling. He's only going to continue to do that. He's still the number one contender. That doesn't mean he gets a shot right away. That just means he gets a shot at whoever the champion is. So that's always a story you can run back immediately, which is probably what I would do, or run it back, you know, an event after the next. Um, but I do think that in telling that story, especially with Hangman, because he is their baby face, he's wildly over, he's solidly an AEW guy. Uh, he's considered an AEW creation, not really, but he's considered that. Um, but again, of all those top talents, he has the less shine. Running it back with Danielson doesn't hurt, and then decisively beating Danielson does not hurt if they want to take a page out of the Okada Omega playbook to some degree or high liberties or even flare steamboat. I really won't complain about that. I think it'll be good. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, like I said, I think, uh, I think that you both enjoyed the match. I, I don't again, just not that big of a fan of a booking, but I do think uh, comparing it to uh, flare steamboat does kind of bring it in. Um, you know, I, in, Steamboat might not, I think, is obviously a better, better baby face than Hangman, but I think Hangman is as over as he was, at least with that crowd, yes. um, as yes. Hangman was. Again, I think Flair uh, and, and, and Brian Nelson are on par as far as like uh, wrestling ability. Flair was obviously, I think, a better heel at that time, especially mm-hmm. getting the heathen being just saying horrific shit to Steamboat yes. and bringing his family yeah. into it. Brian yeah. Nelson hasn't sunk that low, but I think he can. I mean, you know, Brian Nelson has been amazing this year, so I'm not going to put anything past him. Um, yeah. Anything else on that, on uh, Winners Come that you want to talk about specifically? I thought uh, Tina I, I, Deep I and Kavashita had a good Deep. match, not their best. I was no, a little was, disappointed, was, but only because my expectations were super high. I think when you're doing when you're doing the best of three in that, when they've already the other two matches were so fantastic, you have to find a way to sort of get out of the third one while giving them both something to do. I liked the match. I didn't expect it to exceed the other two. I actually did not. Um, but I expected it to be another good match, which it was. Mm-hmm. I thought the ending was a little clunky, but it was going to be because they had that exposed turnbuckle and that you're going to have that sort of riffraff. At the same time, the match was done in such a way to where whenever them get, whenever one of them gets a title in theory, that's always a situation that you can run back. But especially when you have the situation where that's just a prominent female wrestling feud, that it's not even so much about the titles, it's about sort of who is the better wrestler. I will appreciate that all day. And of course, Serena Deeb looked amazing in it. So as do Hikaru Shida. Um yes. I, I love the the pin and the way you know she kept selling the leg, which has been the second mm-hmm. point throughout the feud. Um let's talk about uh, a something that didn't happen when it's coming, something you want to talk about. 
we had uh, a big moment we forgot to address last week. Um, this happened while we were away on uh, a rampage a couple of weeks ago. We had the debut of the one and only the internet's favorite wrestler. It seems, uh, Hook made uh, his debut, made a quick work of Fuego del Sol in about three and a half minutes, beat him in what essentially is a squash match. A uh, few notable things uh, include the fact that Hook's entrance music is done by Action Bronson. Uh, one thing you got to say about AEW is they do not uh, mind spending money on entrance music, and uh, Hook's theme is, of course, now by a major recording artist, um, which I'm a fan of. I, I like that song, um, even though I do not know how I feel about it as, a, as an entrance music necessarily. Uh, so, Tony, you wanted to talk about this. You have, clearly you have a lot in your mind on, on Hook. Well, it's not even so much a lot of my mind. I think that for the purposes of this, I think it's very important that people understand, like, debuts in professional wrestling as of late have been sort of uh, been handled very poorly uh, across the board. I think that what makes this debut special is that it was, to my knowledge, the first real debut of a homegrown AEW character, of a mm. homegrown AEW wrestler, had not worked anywhere else, had not done it. And again, he was just there. And we all knew, and it was the perfect way to bring someone in, you knew he had a pedigree because he was Taz's kid. So you're and immediately, oh, and if you know anything about wrestling, if you're thinking Taz, ECW, not, uh, ECW Taz, not WWF Taz, you're like, oh my, this could be a thing. And then he's just there for a bit. He's just, he's just there doing his thing, but he always looked sort of formidable. He looked moody. <laughs> and that's what- course, No, his doing his thing is not a whole lot. And I do think not, that's the reason why he basically became kind of a meme as a guy who kind yes. of just stood there. Well, yeah, he did, well, he stood there, but every single time there was like a hint of menace. I just saw like a, I just saw like a young Italian white boy who like was fit. And I'm like, you're Taz's kid. Like you have to be like you have to be able to do. There's no way Taz is going to have a child who does not know how to throw a human. It's just not going to happen, right? So I think that um, the manner in which they did this, especially because when you see proper debuts, proper debuts will happen, but they will be done properly. So I think in this one there was an appropriate amount of fanfare uh, that that you know, and Punk kind of set it up perfectly, like send hook and all this other stuff. So it was in front of the right crowd, uh, being that he is from New York. It was in the front of the proper crowd. He had the perfect opponent, Fuego Del Sol, who really did an excellent job of uh, really showing the skill set of Hook. And in the match, the match in and of itself gave you a glimpse of what Hook could do, especially against someone smaller than him. And uh, the, the young man is an exceptional athlete. He appears to move very well in the ring. His footwork is pretty solid. Now, I think that's why it's something to be excited about if you're a professional wrestling fan and you're a fan of a particular product. The fact they can have this character that they have built sort of from the ground up and have him debut on their brand is a good thing. Used to be done a whole lot, not so much anymore. Also, shout to Cody Rhodes, who's been training the man. So again, all of you will have mixed feelings about Cody. I know you want Cody to turn heel, but you understand that if Cody turns heel, none of your heel favorites can eat. Do you not understand? It's over for them. MJF is finished. The Miz is finished. They're, they're all done if Cody turns heel. Remember Cody's heel run. He was, the, he, was the, he was the worst. He was the best at being the worst. But also, yeah, that's another feather in Cody's cap from the behind-the-scenes perspective. 
Uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, it is something to be excited about if you are a professional wrestling fan. Let's see what continues to happen going forward. I do believe that Team Taz is, I think, in fact, my favorite stable in AEW. But there brings up the fundamental problem of you have to showcase guys. You have a guy like Powerhouse Hobbs, whom showcasing him on Dark is cool and whatever. Have him kill someone on Rampage. Have him kill someone on Dynamite because Powerhouse Hobbs is incredibly, incredibly good. I know with Ricky Starks, his situation is a little bit different because of his next situation. They want to be very careful around that. But again, continue to showcase these guys because they don't have, there's not a lot of frills in their faction, but all three of those dudes appear to have a lot to offer. Uh, I think Paul Hobbs, to be honest with you, Paul Hobbs, Hobbs sorry, uh, I think he suffers a little bit, just that uh, Orange Cassidy lost. You know, if you're going to be Paul Hobbs, you shouldn't be get beaten by orange injured Orange Cassidy. So um, that, that definitely hey, kind of I mean, that's the, that's, that's, the, that's the decision. You know, I wouldn't have done that. But again, people believe no, that. No, and we got to hold them accountable, though. You know what I mean? Because I know, I know WWE did that. We would have no, they've done it all the time. No, Spike so. Dudley used to beat big guys all the time. Spike sure, Dudley sure. used to, Fair I enough. mean, like, so you can do, you can, you can do that. I mean, David, Ray Mysterio. I mean, you can do that. You certainly can. Not um, young, dominant guys, though. Not that I can, I'm sure it happened, but not, not somebody the company was high on. Let me put that way. No, he beat Randy Orton and Kurt Angle in one night. At mm-hmm. WrestleMania. <laughs> you know, they oh, like, Ray Mysterio. Yeah, Ray Mysterio. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, okay. Yeah, yeah I but, mean, but, you that's, know, but I mean, that's not the same. But okay. Yeah, yeah. I thought you meant like, Spike Dolly. Yeah, yeah, no. But that's no, yeah. not. Like, I mean, Ray Mysterio is not Orange Cassidy. No, he's not. I mean, well, Orange Cassidy is not Ray Mysterio. Let's, yeah. let's switch that around there. But no, I mean, Orange is still very popular, and they believe that he has a ceiling that I don't believe he has, but many of you do. So they chose to do that. It would have been more interesting if Powerhouse Hobbs won, but that's why you continue to showcase him in the next couple of weeks murdering a man. Very true. Um, before we get into um, uh, anything else, that's uh, again another uh, question you want, a uh, topic you want to address. Um, last week, this is uh, was an omission on our part. There was uh, uh, a wrestler who uh, unfortunately passed away, and uh, you know, which which happens way too often. Um, and uh, this was a, a, a wrestler who passed away in a pretty young age, uh, Jimmy Rave. Um, and again, uh, it's not somebody it's somebody I've heard of, not too familiar with their work, just to be 100% honest. Um, judging by, you know, the reaction on Twitter, you know, seemed to be very well loved and well received in his community. Um, and it was a, you know, staple of TNA for a very long time. But Satoru, again, that's something that you want to address. So I'll, I'll let you talk about it. Yeah, the, um, can you hear that? I can't a little bit though. Okay. So um, yeah, the, the, the passing of Jimmy Rave, you know, Jimmy Rave, I first became acquainted with him in what, like uh, in Ring of Honor. He was a member of the embassy that was led by Prince Nana. And he was originally like, the crown jewel of the embassy. And Prince Nana was this sort of a uh, West African gimmick of like, he's a prince and all this other. So he had royalty and he was buying up these pro- so the the so the, the 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 crown jewel of the embassy was this good-looking white kid with with nice blonde hair who could actually work and I think um and that was the first that was one of the first times that the Ring of Honor at least ha- as I had seen them sort of have characters you know like factions and things of that nature but Jimmy was always very in every time I saw him regardless of whether it be uh, in Ring of Honor where I first got acquainted with him uh, or in uh, and TNA, which is where I saw the most of his work, I believe him and Lance uh, Archer, Lance Hoyt, were a tag team uh, that were kind of like a kind of like a weird rocker type of like like tag team, like that was kind of cool. 
but he was always a very, very solid worker, underrated in that he was a part of the time period that when we talked about Ring of Honor um, and, you know, them, them shutting down until April, he was a part of that time period. And he was one of the instrumental figures, even though he was never super duper high up on the card, his wrestling style uh, was a part of what we now see across professional wrestling in general. Certainly that has its positives and its negatives, but Jimmy was a very, very talented performer. Also, I think it's, it speaks to a lot of the ills of any type of physical activity. Uh, if you are dealing with addiction issues, that is a very, very terrible thing. Um, physical pain does not help that, you know, at all. So, you know, Jimmy had his struggles, um, you know, with, with, drug addiction, which was actually like pretty well pronounced in 2009. I remember that was a weird period where he just wasn't, there was something off and I like seen him before and he was like so awesome. And then in 2009, he was like kind of off, but it turns out he, he was, uh, you know, he had some issues there, but I think that it's important to, you can find Jimmy rave on YouTube and it's him doing a lot of neat stuff with a lot of neat characters, whether it be in TNA with, uh, with Lance, uh, Archer, Lance Hoyt or Lance rock as they called him or in the embassy, which I really loved. Uh, I loved his portrayal in the embassy and him and Prince Nana went really well together. All right, yeah, thank you for, for saying that. Any, um, I don't think we're gonna do a match of the week this week, because again, I think we're giving, uh, you know, we're going to be talking about our favorite things from the year. Any Jimmy Rave match you can recommend top of your head? Goodness gracious, there's a bunch of X Division stuff. Um, let me see here. I want to make sure I get there is some Jimmy AJ stuff, but like AJ worked with everyone. Uh, but I would say, mm, what do I think is a good? I, I'll do this. I'll do this one. I, I, you know what? Let's do Jimmy Ray versus CM Punk. Mm-hmm. That one should be right online. It should be, if I'm not mistaken, it should be right online. Should be Ring of Honor's uh, page. But yeah, this is uh, Babyface, I believe Babyface CM Punk first Embassy Jimmy Rave at the time period, which I'm thinking like mid 2000s. Uh, so I think that's a good representation of of Jimmy Rave. Okay, thank you for that. Um, so uh, without further ado, um, do we have anything you want to say about Raw SmackDown that happened since uh, we've been on the air since we since we recorded last time? Uh... Um, thought SmackDown was boring, thought Raw was about the same, but I didn't think they put forth bad efforts. Um, mm-hmm. I thought, I thought Bianca versus Dewdrop was cool, um, to close that. I thought the, the Becky versus Liv stuff is kind of weird. I don't think it really, I don't think, I, I, they're doing, they're just, they're, they're, they're trying to Rhea Ripley her and they, they do that too much with too many of the young girls and it doesn't, it's not translating over well. And it's it's not making them look like stars. So she's not going to win, nor should she, based on how they're using her. Much like, I mean, she's not the person to beat. Much like Tony Storm was a person to beat with Charlotte. The moment that Tony Storm just had a pie shoved in her face to look like an asshole and just stood there, I was like, you killed her. She's dead. But that appears to be like that's what the role was for. So, I mean, uh, but I think uh, Bobby Lashley is cool. Um, He's probably, uh, to me, like the coolest person in WWE. Yeah, if he's going solo, that's what I want. I want, yeah. I want Bobby Lashley as a jacked up Morpheus. 
Yeah. So yeah, man, like he's like, but you know, they they they're continuing to apparently try to rebound. I don't know if they're turning him baby face. If they are, that makes me kind of nervous because I don't really trust. I don't trust how they treat their baby faces currently in WWE because why should I? They're not treating them really well at all. And anyone they're treating right now well as a baby face is meant to get served to Roman Reigns. So I don't like it at all. So, uh, but there's that. But yeah, I, I found both shows to be solid, kind of boring, but it wasn't it wasn't because they were putting forth the subpar product. It's just the presentation. Yeah, fair enough. I think that you pretty much touched on all the things uh, I want to talk about as far as, um, especially, like I said, the interesting stuff being um, uh, Bobby Lashley, you know, seemingly turning babyface and uh, <laughs> Bianca and Dewdrop again, just kind of having a really cool mini feud, like uh, uh, might be one of the better TV mini feuds I've seen, probably the best one since Thrill and Sheamus way in the, in the first part of the year. Um, and I think it did both of them service. It reminded us that, you know, Dewdrop Piper Nevins is really, really good in the ring. And uh, so it's, and Bianca is just awesome. And, you know, good to see her getting cheers in every match. Uh, you know, still getting over, still having at least some uh, baby face heat behind her. So now, with that said, without further ado, let's talk about what we like in the year 2021, our favorite things in uh, wrestling. Um, I, uh, Anything particular, again, this is, uh, I did send out, uh, you know, a quote-unquote ballot. These are not awards. We don't watch everything. We don't have, both of us have full-time jobs. Satoru is, uh, is a, a world-renowned entertainer. He's got a, he's got other things on his plate. Um, I am a, a new husband, so look, we, we, we don't, I don't watch New Japan, or sorry, I don't watch uh, Pro, Pro Wrestling Noah, which I heard has had a good year. I know Stardom has been putting on awesome stuff. I've checked out maybe a couple matches there. Point being, we don't see everything. So these are not awards. This is just stuff that we like this year. Yeah. Um, so, Satoru, with that being said, let's get started right away. Uh, I, I wanted just... to use your I wanted to use your list that you gave me because I, I filled in everything. I thought, so I want to take it from the my, my best five matches let's go. that I saw. And the, the best five, how I thought of it was, of course, the quality of the match. If there was an audience there, what was the reaction? What was the build and the story? And what was the execution? And, and what was the significance? So my five were White versus Bushi from Wrestle Kingdom, which I think is the match of the year. Same. Uh, still to me holds, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, Walter versus uh, Ilya Dragunov is also in there. Uh, Punk versus Darby Allen, mostly because Punk's first match back in seven years, and it was a very, very good match. I would say uh, a great match in terms of how clean it was and reestablishing that Punk can actually do this with the, an incredible dance partner, as they say. It, uh, then from there, Lashley versus McIntyre from WrestleMania. Uh, night one, I felt that kicked off night one perfectly. Um, and I felt that it was a really, really cool build to a story that Drew McIntyre had been really living for the past over a year and showed us the ascension of Bobby Lashley uh, coming complete in my mind. And um, the last one on that list is Belair versus Banks from night one, WrestleMania, the main event of WrestleMania. Yeah, again, you don't have to talk about it. I think it's uh, pretty self-explanatory how that is, uh, significance of that match. Really appreciate it, man. I think uh, your take is a little bit different. I think it kind of encompasses the bigger picture of the match, if you yes. will, not necessarily um, the technical aspect aspects, except for the first two. Um, yes. Completely agree with you. I had the, my first two matches are the same as yours not at number one. 
I had Ibushi versus Jay White. I just thought it was a, you know, we, we just talked about the, um, the hour-long Broadway. I think this match was close to 50 minutes, maybe a little bit over. Um, did not feel like it. Part of it was the execution. The fact that Jay White uh, can play two characters really well, one of them being uh, an amazing technical wrestler, one being mm-hmm. a chicken shed heel, and he played both yeah. in the match. And same thing for Kobe Bushi. Kobe Bushi can be one of the best baby faces, uh, sell uh, any injury and take any bumps from uh, opponents who are not, almost obviously not as physically gifted as he is, uh, just because he mm-hmm. looks like an action figure um, and has, you know, legit Muay Thai and kickboxing training. And then now, this character he developed over the past few years, just an absolute monster, you know, which he goes into in the, oh, you know, the last kind of 10 minutes of this match. Um, and, you know, that's why it's, 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 I love matches like this, you know, if they, if they're going to last that long, like that you can pinpoint every beat of the match or when you watch it more like a story, more, you know, and just, mm-hmm. than than a match. Um, I thought it was, it was beautiful. It was perfect. Um, and that's kind of what you expect from New Japan. Uh, Walter Dragunov, uh, again, not as, maybe not as comparable to a well-told story. This is just two dudes fighting over title and they need to, they both need it and every action is nonstop and they just beat the crap out of each other. It's uh, what makes their rivalry so good. They had one of the best matches of the year last year as well. Uh, supposedly, I, have yet, I haven't seen it, but they had some amazing matches on uh, independent European circuit as well. They just make it look realistic. It's, it, it looks painful. You can feel it for both of them. Walter is one of the best heels in the world because the way he dishes out punishment and how smart he is, how good, how he sells being a ring general, almost like, a, you know, Daniel Bryan. Daniel Bryan was, you know, 200 pounds heavier. Um, and uh, Ilya Dragunov is yeah. just one of the best baby faces in the world for my money. Just nobody sells punishment uh, as well as he yeah. does. Um, my other three matches, again, I focused a little bit more on the technical aspect so much as uh, storytelling and impact. So I have my two Shingo matches. Um, I think Shingo's year has been incredible. We'll talk about a little bit more in the next category. But uh, my two favorite matches of his were, again, Zack Sabre Jr. Uh, the match, uh, the second match uh, for the, the world uh, heavyweight title. Uh, I just thought it was so beautifully technically done. I think this may be his best technical match. Uh, the fact he can kind of match almost Zack Sabre Jr. move for move was just extremely impressive to me. Um, and I just love watching it again. It's over half an hour, but it goes by in a flash. Um, yeah. And the other match is uh, Shingo versus Ishii, which is almost like, you know, two guys who wrestle pretty much almost the same, have a similar moveset. Again, very much like Walter was struggling off. Extremely realistic, extremely quick. They beat the crap out of each other. But they make sure to sell it. That's the thing, right? Like, when all these matches, even though they go move, 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 you can see the punishment on all their faces. Um, and, you know, it doesn't feel rushed. And lastly, um, I, I put in War Games. I thought that the story told was really well done throughout the match. I thought this is a match. Hey, they knew what we had to do. We had to do a lot in this match. And everything was done perfectly. We have to pay a tribute to Johnny Gargano. This was done. This is hey, the heart of NXT, his last kind of match with a promotion. Um, that was done beautifully. We got to see all elements of his career in NXT in the one match. Um, we have to make sure our NXT 2.0 guys, all of them, uh, we flesh out their characters and have something for them to do next day, and they look good. Grayson um, mm-hmm. Waller looked great by taking you know a few spots from LA Knight. Their feud is now continuing on and down in NXT. Um, Braun Breaker scored the win for his team. It looked like an unstoppable monster when he came in. 
And then, of course, Carmelo Hayes, you know, went toe for toe with Johnny Gargano throughout the entire match, kind of like the the iron, the workhorse of the match, along with Gargano. So, uh, I just thought it was uh, a match that you know accomplished everything it set out to, and it was extremely entertaining, fifty minutes, and it was, in my opinion, the best work NXT World Games match. Let me say that. Yeah, that's what's up. Yeah. So I think from there, we have our best male wrestlers, our top five for the year. That's right. That's this, right. Was, this was a bit of a harder list for me. So I, I didn't stick entirely to it. Um, but I have like, you know, I have six, but it can be interchangeable. And I'll let sure. you know the two that I think are interchangeable. So in no particular order, I have Bobby Lashley. I thought this was just a, a breakout year for him uh, in terms of the character development, uh, his showcasing, his placement. Uh, and especially once he got in front of the live crowd, he translated appropriately to the live crowd, even with the even when they tried to 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 uh, fumble the bag on him. Uh, the character remained so strong. They had to come to their senses, what sense they have left and let reason sort of win the day. Uh, so I thought that was excellent. Kenny Omega, uh, I think the work that he did as AEW World's Heavyweight Champion par excellence cannot be understated, especially to be that high quality of worker with that many injuries. Not many people can do that. That speaks for itself. Brian Danielson. Brian Danielson, uh, mostly because of just like how he started. Started WWE, uh, high, high profile matches, delivered in all of them. They clearly wanted him to stay because they desperately needed him. He wanted to do other things. He goes over to AEW, immediately makes an impact. It is immediately uh, a force to be reckoned with while having great matches in both brands, but you can clearly see having different matches in AEW than having in WWE, which he did express that he wanted to do. He wanted to have, and, and I do, you can see it very clearly. His matches, again, look a lot more authentic. They look a little bit realer. He doesn't win the same way because there's a time in pro wrestling where you didn't win the same way all the time, even if you had your finisher. Um, Roman Reigns, I think that's a pretty obvious uh, clip there. He's been the highest highest profile professional wrestler in the United States. Um, he has delivered in his matches. I do believe the character is boring, but I do believe that this is the best incarnation of Roman Reigns that we've ever seen, and he has had his best year. So to argue that would just sort of be nonsensical. Now, my uh, the the other the spot that I have for five, and again, this is no in no order. I do have every person on this list ahead of Roman Reigns. I need to say <laughs> but, so I do because they're all better. They all are, in fact, better. Uh, but uh, it's it's uh, it's a toss up between Shingo and McIntyre, um, especially because McIntyre just had to be a workhorse. This entire year. Gave him a lot of good stuff and a lot of bad, but he's uh, like God tier great, and he's not getting that recognition. So maybe that's why I sort of put him in. No, that's very again. I think very good list. Um, I'm not going to ask you to give me the whole list in order. Uh, well, I know who is last on your list. Tell me who is number one. Mm -hmm. You have to give me your number one, though. Only because of, only because he went from one brand to another and killed it, I'd say Danielson. Hey, That's the only one thing on that would give well. me... Yeah, he, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Nothing... I'll, I'll go on my list, you know, we'll use that as transition. Uh, number one on my list as well. Just again, I thought he, he 
be he killed it. Amazing baby face, amazing heel, without you know doing anything over the top. Just having great matches. Um, what is what else is there to say, right? I mean, he is the guy who yeah. uh, headlined WrestleMania and then you know challenged for AEW World Title uh, in the yeah. same year. Um, that's just some godly shit. Um, yeah, I think he keeps making that case. You know, where now, um, and I don't think it was too over the top to put him on like wrestling Mount Rushmore beforehand, but I think now it's just kind of obvious almost to put him on there. Um, and I think, yeah, I think this year has a lot to do with it. Um, my list is ordered, uh, so I might as well just do it in order then. Uh, number two, I have Shingo. I think what Shingo did this year is, is just incredible. Um, uh, with everything happening in New Japan, uh, with them, you know, just kind of suffering and uh, a blowback after blowback, um, a step back after step back, and uh, you know, not being able to run shows, losing a lot of their talent because of COVID, uh, have bad injuries, you know, and introducing new title that's not popular, and then the first two championships have to, you know, uh, you know, both struggle with injuries. Uh, for them to trust Shingo over Kazushika Kada to carry that yeah. company, uh, because of the year he has had, because he just every time he's in the ring, he just puts out an amazing match. And I don't, and yeah. I mean it, not a good match, not a great match, an amazing match. Um, and again, what he does did as, as New Japan champion when they needed him, it's akin to what Drew McIntyre did last year. You yeah. know, uh, just being that steadying force for the company in a, the most uncertain times. Um, number three, I, uh, you know, I have, and four, I'll have Roman and Kenny. I think they're interchangeable with the work they've done, where uh, again, just uh, you know, two guys who are top of the promotion. I think Roman, uh, I like him a little bit more as 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 the spearhead for one company. Uh, just again, what he did was when SmackDown was built, Smack for a while, SmackDown was the best show on television, and it was built almost entirely around him. Uh, obviously, again, a lot of people helped. He had great dance partners. He had Paul Heyman. He had the Usos. Uh, but nonetheless, the show was built around him, and it was, for my money, for a while at least, the best show on television. Uh, Kenny is you know, uh, amazing for all the things you can nitpick. And, you know, maybe he's not uh, the, you know, he's good, but he's not maybe the best promo. Maybe his matches are not as good as they were in New Japan. He was a champion in three, uh, in th of three promotions and, you know, doing a, a marvel job and still having really good matches. So um, that cannot be uh, underscored. Uh, and then number five, I, I had, uh, uh, it was very close, and uh, but I ended up going. I think you kind of persuaded me. I ended up going with Bobby Lashley at number five. Mm -hmm. um, just again, the, the the work that he has done, the work that they did with his presentation, and how dominant he was a champion, and the fact that you know he was so good that he might now turn babyface. Um, yeah. I think it's extremely impressive. Uh, just outside of it, I had both you know Seth Rollins and Edge. Um, mm -hmm. I think just the, the work they did together, and I think the work they've done throughout the year has just been extremely, extremely impressive. Um, just they never worked on the top. Obviously, Hangman uh, kind of set out for a little bit of the year, but you know, him being super hard with the baby face, I think deserves mention as well. And lastly, the other guy who just missed my top five is Jonathan Gresham, just being again that the man in uh, Ring of Honor this year in the, their final year. Yeah, I agree with that. So then we go from the, the top five uh, female wrestlers, women wrestlers. Uh, for my money, it was Bianca Belair. Uh, Diana Pedraza, again, this is in no order. Bianca Belair, Diana Pedraza, Serena Deeb, Raquel Gonzalez, who I believe really had a standout year. Uh, hopefully that continues to translate over. Um, it seems like when she lost to Mandy, you know, some steam might have been gone there. But and then, of course, just for how 
over she is. And the fact she has improved and she has carried that title. Uh, I don't know why you like bad people, but Britt Baker, I wouldn't take that from her. That would be disingenuous. Yeah. And then right. people mentioned to uh, Karoshita, uh, who I thought was was excellent as well. Uh, I do not have Sunuji in my top five. Or Karoshita, they both got honorable mention. They just, again, didn't work on top of that much, um, but they were excellent. Um, the only difference outside of my top five, I have uh, Thunder Rosa in my top five. Um, I just think I think she's excellent. I think she's clearly becoming like the second most ever woman in uh, AEW, not to mention she's done great matches elsewhere as well. Uh, and I had to, this is gonna, uh, I know it's gonna upset you, but I could not do my list without Charlotte Flair being in it. I know you were gonna do that. You have terrible I, I, I understand. I think she's just been good. Uh, her match, again, even if you disagree with her booking, which is fine, I disagree with it as well. I don't think, you know, you can you can argue that uh, the way they book her has not hurt uh, Rhea Ripley or uh, uh, Nikki Cross. I would Nikki disagree Ash. with that strongly. The way that they booked her definitely hurt Rhea Ripley. No, that's what I'm saying. Of course. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Of course they did. Okay. Yeah. No, no, I, I, that's what I'm saying. So okay. I agree with that. But that's on the booking side. I think yeah. not fair to, to, to blame her for it when she's been good on the mic and she's been good in the ring and uh, throughout the year. In, in in big situations. I think you can make an argument that her versus Rhea Ripley, um, just again, from a wrestling standpoint, not from the outcome standpoint, but from the wrestling standpoint, might have been the best women's feud this year. They had, you know, their Money in the Bank match was really good. The match that they had with uh, the triple threat with Asuka uh, was excellent as well. So, uh, and of course, her match with, uh, with Becky at uh, Survivor yeah. Series was my favorite women's match of this year, period. So, and I, and I think that was her sort of standout match for the year. I think everything, every the, the matches can be good. But again, I'm more like, what's the purpose of this? What story are we trying to tell? And the story they try to tell in those situations, I don't believe were good stories. They were not good buildups. Um, and only one person looked really good afterward. Everyone was severely diminished afterward. So I'm just like, ah, no, because yes, you can sit there and say, oh, from a booking perspective, you, but I mean, again, like you can see a talented person who can make themselves without killing the other person. Uh, CM Punk used to do it all the time when he was champion. Uh, so you can sit there and say, well, that's a booking issue. But then it's also incumbent on the wrestler to be like, here's how I want the match to go. And when it's with Charlotte, it's the Britt Baker effect. I should have called it the Charlotte effect first. You tap. You tap, you're a top baby face, and you've got the heart of a lion and the heart of the warrior, and you tap, and you're worse off for it, and that's that. So, you know, and her footwork is terrible. In my <laughs> oh, that's fine. Um, Again, uh, give me your number one for the year. My number my number one female wrestler for the year? Mm -hmm. Bianca Belair. Okay, me too. Like, imagine, imagine uh, until SummerSlam, she had already had like eight months of just a prominent ascension that was working and even after they you know knocked her down a couple pegs just sort of like that weird thing they do with some talent they like cool you off uh unless your name is roman reigns then you know it's that weird aspect they do like we're gonna beat you a couple times just because even though you're super duper over and we should have more heat to you but we're not gonna but she was able to steady her ship once she lost a bit and now is like coasting towards the upswing i think um, um but also and also again had one of the matches of the year with Sasha Banks uh, from a cultural impact. Spoke was uh, spotlighted on ESPN, wanted SB on that. There's no woman in professional wrestling right now who's seeing that. So, yeah. And Sasha Banks, I think we're also top five most tweeted about athletes, which is 
you know, take that. I know it's a, it's a very kind of a niche metric, but it's a big deal. I mean, <laughs> Twitter is a global platform. Um, yes. And uh, yeah, no, I hundred percent agree with you. And I almost think that the fact that she has been able to remain hot in a secondary feud, I think it's mm-hmm. a true testament to both how far along she came, both with the fans and with the booking, and also just how talented she mm-hmm. really is. Um, I think let's move on to the next feud because I think you touched on you know what, what makes for a good feud. And like I said, match quality wise, I thought uh, Rhea Ripley was a Charlotte. You know they got the time and they got the the matches, but the the story and how much it damaged Rhea Ripley is the reason why I, it's not in my best feud of the year. Uh, to be right. quite honest, I thought number one was very easy, and then picking up the, the other two or the other feuds to even talk about was very difficult for me. Uh, I think number one was Edge's F rounds by far. Just as far as um, just putting on, again, entertaining promos, great matches. Both look strong in the end. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, look where they are now. Edge is still a legend who won the feud. Uh, and Seth looks better than he did before, despite losing. Um, just, I think, a perfectly booked feud that produced some really good television. Uh, to round up, I, you know, if you want to count Kenny Omega versus... Uh, Hangman, as, as a few that happened this year, uh, we can throw it in there. I didn't count it for this year because I think the bulk of it happened earlier. Uh, mm-hmm. This year, we only kind of got like a month of it, you know, after Hangman came back in Philly and won, uh, became the number one contender. Uh, so I put Kenny Omega versus Impact Wrestling. That was mm-hmm. my second favorite feud of the that's, year. It's that's a little, yeah, I know it's a little highbrow of a pick, maybe a little hipsterish, but I thought. That was Kenny Omega at his best, as as a heel who comes in from the outside promotion and just says, "Hey, I am better than you. I am bigger than you. You can, you know, you bring me your best. I will knock them all down." And I thought it was just so so well done. And I I think they kind of, as you know, I wish if they stuck the landing on that one, like if somebody, like if Josh Alexander comes along and beats mm-hmm. Kenny Omega, which I think was the plan for a little bit because they had mm-hmm. a little bit of interaction in the end. Um. I think it might have been my feud of the year, to be honest with you. It was just right. really well done. Obviously, that's not how it ended up happening. Um, but I still enjoyed it. And number three, it's if you talk about just quality of matches, I would be Serena D versus Kikar Rashida. Uh, just thought it was a really good feud, but it's a third-rate feud in, 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 in AEW. In a, in a, just didn't get the time. So I'll put in Roman versus Brock. Uh, I've seen it a million times. But it's done well and produced, gave us some good television. And they're by far the two biggest stars, uh, probably in the world of wrestling right now. So just seeing him yeah, interactive is interesting. That's, that's, that's unfortunate. I won't argue too much against that last point. It's only been going on for like a few months, but it's not that good. Uh, but it's, it, this might be its best incarnation. My top three was uh, it was Edge versus Rollins. Um, they did a lot in a short period of time, only had three matches. All that was kind of necessary. Um, it was really like a four-month feud. The, the, the way it was started was perfect. Um, insecure Seth Rollins screws Edge out of winning the title, and then you sort of go from there. And they got really personal, great promos. The matches were very, very solid. And both guys came out looking great afterward because you can do that, Charlotte. So that was my uh, – again, I didn't really rank these, but that's one. I did have Paige v. Omega. Um even though it started a little bit beforehand, but that was the overarching feud. The minute Kenny won, it was always there. And Omega or um, Paige rather was always knocking at the door, but something stopped him from being able to sort of get at him, whether it be Brian Cage, whether them losing a 10 man, whether this thing happening, like there's always something 
to sort of stop him, but he was always lurking on the horizon, which I do believe is sort of good booking. It's like, if I got to get through, if I'm Ric Flair and I got to get through Luger, Sting is looming. Like he's just, he's a thing I have to deal with and I can put up as many roadblocks, but this guy appears to be coming. So I did appreciate that. And rounding out the list for me, because it really was the first six months or close to, I mean, not for six months, maybe four or five months of raw programming was Lashley versus McIntyre. Um, mostly because it was them right back in front of the audience. And then they kept on playing on that. And those matches were very good. They didn't try to be outside of themselves. Um, they delivered in every aspect. And it was very surprising to me because I did not see it going that way. I thought, I thought, uh, I really thought that McIntyre would have won it back, but he didn't in every scenario. He didn't come out looking worse for it. Um, there were some disappointing moments, but he didn't come out looking worse. And Lashley only came out looking stronger. So I thought that that was pretty cool. I think they, I, I'm trying to remember why I didn't put it in my top three, because I didn't enjoy it. And obviously they got the time and the matches. I think maybe I thought they spammed it a little bit in the end. That's the only my own explanation. But well, yeah, I they, they it spammed it so much they had to stop it. You know what I'm saying? It was kind of like, but they didn't, but they didn't really have anything else. So it was, no. it was a thing to keep on doing, you know. Uh, like 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 Rock v Roman, when you have nothing, you just keep doing that, and maybe people think it's good. I mean, listen, people keep watching it though, so I, you can't even blame. Them, but no, I mean, because some people don't can't leave the house on Friday. <laughs> no, you're right. You're not wrong about that. Um, it, it does. Listen, I watch Brock vs Roman before I catch COVID. So, yeah, um, yeah. And, and they have been uh, again. I having seen. I will say this, and maybe this is the reason why I've had to throw them on there. Seeing them face off each other live uh, in Madison Square Garden, which was a great show, but seeing them face off live, you can there is they had both stars. They both carry themselves as such, and there's definitely a lot of charisma when they when you just see them face off. There's definitely a level of electricity there that is just you know as much as you can appreciate that some technical aspects they just don't exist in a lot of feuds. So um, hence the reason why I, I threw it in there. Uh, so Toy, where were your favorite tag teams this year? My. I, I now again, it's important for for me to say not my favorite. Here are the best tag teams. That's right. Okay. Of this year again, in terms of their their you know of course skill set, match quality, influence, like that type of thing. So um, I had the Young Bucks um, because of what they did for the AEW World Tag Team Titles, and because of the fact that they were able to hold those titles in such a way, regardless of their match style, which is not my cup of tea when the Lucha brothers took it off of them, that was quite the moment because those tag titles did and do mean so much. Of course I had the Usos on there. Um, we knew that once uh, what Jimmy came back, that they were going to get those titles. They've given us really good matches, which is to be expected. I have FTR. Their work has been consistent with Santana and Ortiz. Um, the work they have done with the Lucha bros, not on the same level as Santana and Ortiz, but I think the matches have been excellent. And I think that the disconnect there might be more in terms of the Lucha brothers and not so much FTR. Also FTR just working with regular teams. Like I've just seen them work with just regular teams and look excellent. Also they did win the, the, you know, the AAA uh, tag team championship. So they, you know, so that is something of note. Dirty dogs, uh, which I do, I, I feel confident in saying this because they have been a staple in tag team wrestling within uh, WWE. They were heel champions on SmackDown for some time that uh, the Street Profits and, you know, the Mysterios were constantly trying to usurp at every point. And this is before WWE 
really tried to put their brain and their energy back into tag team wrestling at some point. So the Dirty Dogs have just been a consistent fixture. Um, Bobby Roode and Dolph Ziggler are excellent workers, as they used to call them, excellent hands. They're almost too good. Uh, it's like, oh, you guys are so good. We'll just make everybody off of you, and you'll just look amazing. But those guys are both in their 40s looking like that, performing like that. And, um, you know, they had legitimate runs, and they've had great matches with a lot of teams. So I put them in there as well. They're an actual, like, WWE uh, e team that is, like, independent of the New Day and the Usos. That's worth a shit. Uh, we'll see how long that lasts. And then uh, rounding out the list, I have RK Bro simply because of the the impact they have made. Um, they appear to be paying more attention to tag team wrestling now as a result of this, which is something that, while I love the three profits, that was not happening. I do have three honorable mentions, those three being, of course, the street profits. Um, so I thought, you know, I mean, they've had a bang out year, but they've been the team to They've been the team to make the team this year. That appears to be their station and their function. I don't think, and I don't think that's necessarily going to change. It might. I don't really think so. Uh, the Briscoes, um, Mark and Jay Briscoe. The only reason I didn't put them in that conversation for top tag teams is because there was a period of time where they were actually feuding with each other on our HTV, like a couple months. So that kind of like threw them off the rhythm, but they did get it back. And uh, rounding out the list, UGK, Matt Taven. And um, and uh, goodness gracious, Mike uh, Mike Bennett. So besides the tag teams that you mentioned, the only two tag teams I want to give a shout out to are the two NXT tag teams I really enjoyed this year. Uh, one being uh, MSK, and the other one being Imperium. Uh, I thought MSK they didn't really get over as baby faces um, because of some internal bullshit that you know we found out about later on. Um, but I thought they had good matches. I thought that, you know, they were a tag team I never heard of, and I thought they were very exciting in the ring, kind of like, you know, Young Bucks, but without uh, going up as far as over the top as they were. Um, and also, like I said, they had a really long, you know, title reign kind of to, um, you know, to establish the tag team titles. And I think Imperium are, you know, up there as one of the best tag teams in the world, kind of very un uh, underappreciated until recently, until, you know, they carried Juan Wagner, uh, you know, to a great match. Um, yeah. So I think yeah. they deserve, uh, you know, a shout out. And, uh, and of course, they had great matches with NXT, with uh, MSK as well. Uh, I do apologize. I might have missed it because of the recording. Uh, if I had to pick a tag team of the year for me, it would be Lucha Bros. I just thought that, you know, uh, the work they did in AAA and um, in AEW was um spectacular i thought you know even if i wasn't as big of a fan of that match as everybody else was i thought their match with young bucks uh was great um and uh yeah that is why what about yourself in terms of uh top tag team this year just one they had to pick one yeah uh, oh yeah i just go young bucks um Makes i sense. thought they elevated they elevated that their tag team titles more than any other tag team title was elevated in north america um that i've seen anyway so and also, I wanted them. I was I, I was so heartbroken every time they won. It was so de it was so devastating. So by the time they finally lost the Lucha Brothers, when you when and again when you can beat a great heel team, that place will pop because generally that great heel champion has had a stranglehold on that title by hook or by crook. So the, the fact that like oh, they actually lost was actually kind of amazing to me and made the AEW titles look better than every other tag team title in, in professional wrestling in the u.s anyway okay 
I, uh, again, hard to argue. I just, I, I prefer Lucha Bros. It, it's nothing but preference. I think you can go either or. Yeah, my favorite weekly show, as I said, uh, uh, my favorite weekly show was AEW Dynamite and Impact Wrestling with an honorable mention going to ROH. Uh, this is not too slight Raw or SmackDown. Um, SmackDown had a pretty good show. It was more story-based than anything else. Um, and it got pretty old to me pretty quickly. And I like more wrestling in my product. And in these other shows, there was more wrestling, especially with Ring of Honor, because they're more wrestling-centered program anyway. And I got to learn more about these new characters who I got to have uh, uh, get associated with. Uh, yeah, I, I like the shout out to Impact. Ring of Honor was just a little bit hard to watch because they never had, had an audience in, in the entire year. And obviously, they, they didn't weren't able to do a Thunderdome thing. Yeah. Um, for me, for most of the year, the show I enjoyed the most was SmackDown, but I do think it's it's it would be silly not to acknowledge the recent uh, decrease in quality of the show, uh, which is why for my show of the year I picked Dynamite. Um, I thought you know for all of its ups and downs, I thought it was it maintained it being entertaining for all of the year, which uh, I don't know if I can say that about SmackDown necessarily. Um, I think Impact, you know, we talked about it. it's their, their writing and the storytelling has been really good. Uh, they just don't have necessarily the talent to match um, and, and, and the production value of, of the AEW, WWE. So my number one pick was the would be uh, Dynamite followed by SmackDown. Okay, yeah. But, okay. Sh- but shout out to Raw for, for, for improving throughout the year and like actually being pretty good for the last couple of months. Yeah, last month or two, they've, they've sort of tried to right their wrongs which is cool, better late than never. Um, mm-hmm. And so for my uh, most improved wrestlers of the year, actually, uh, my two are Darby Allen and Roman Reigns. Uh, Darby Allen, I think because Darby, his AEW TNT run was the best run. It's not my favorite run, but I think from the objective standpoint, it was the best run. He wrestled the most frequently. He really showed his in-ring rep- repertoire to a level that um, a lot of us didn't see or didn't expect while still doing a lot of the crazy stuff anyway. But he showed me a lot of growth in his matchup with Jungle Boy, his series with Cody when he was finally able to get through Cody. Um, A lot of the technical and scientific wrestling that he was doing, uh, please, I would would ask you to go back and watch viewers. I mean, he was doing some really, really high-level stuff while still being a maniac at the same time, but just showing that depth um, was really impressive to me. And, of course, I think the most important – uh, display of that is actually when he lost the TNT title to Rusev to sort of bring it all together. His connections with the fans got stronger. This is why I have him on the most improved list. Roman Reigns, I have him on the most improved list because he did actually become a better in-ring worker. Um, this is not to say he became a perfect in-ring worker. He sells the moment. He still does not sell the match. But in terms of growing as a heel and understanding what it is that he is supposed to do, and what he does and does not need to do, I think he's gotten better in that in that regarded role as just like I'm a really piece of shit heel who happens to be like pretty badass. I like that. I think those are good picks. I think Roman Reigns, his whole thing kind of started last year, but I, I respect it. And I do think he, you know, continued to improve throughout the year. Uh, for me, I also have uh, AEW and uh, and a WWE uh, wrestlers. For AW, I actually have the other TNT champion, uh, Miro, mm-hmm. who I think uh, after not being booked so great when he started his AW run, I know me and you disagree on this. I, I did not think that, you know, the any of his earlier booking really worked. I don't think the character clicked. Uh, he's now just doing, you know, he 
the was last seen doing the best work he has been doing uh, with the Redeemer character. Um, he didn't get so much better, get better in the ring. I just thought that you know the change of character was necessary and well, probably the best change of character um, I've seen this year. Um, and then as far as the best um, improved in the ring, I think uh, Liv Morgan is kind of an obvious pick. Uh, still think you know she's not up there with the top tiers in the world. And I think uh, it was between her and Britt Baker. I think they both had similar improvements where they went from someone who was just honestly green and uh, just kind of not ready to someone who can actually hang there and hang, can put on good matches uh, in, in clutch spots when called upon. Mm-hmm. Um, so for that, you have to, you know, uh, give them credit. And, uh, you know, hopefully they both will uh, keep on improving throughout the year or throughout the next year as well so that they can get to that top, top spot. I believe they will. Yep. Uh, now, what was your favorite uh, pay-per-view special of 2021? Um, my favorite, I mean, of 2021, wow. My favorite specials, and in no particular order, I have uh, Wrestle Kingdom Night 2, mm-hmm. WrestleMania Night 1, All Out, uh, Impact Wrestling's Bound for Glory. I thought that was Impact's best run of pay-per-views of the entire year. The show is very clean sequential it did not exhaust me and it, i thought it had an amazing ending and finally aew's double or nothing yeah i really enjoyed uh, the the glory too i thought that was excellent the ending again just kind of like a really well put together show uh, i've had it as my honorable mention uh along with that i had uh nxt's vengeance day I, i've been saying that the entire year i thought it was just uh you know you had three great matches on the on the same on the same card uh, the beginning of uh, Adam Cole versus uh, Kyle Riley feud, which started off really well before kind of being disappointing in the end. Uh, but of course, again, Undisputed Era breakup is huge storyline for NXT. Um, I thought, you know, it had uh, Finn Balor versus uh, Pete Dunne. No, it was just Kyle Riley. That's, that's mm-hmm. what that was. Um, uh, that's how that ended. Um, just again, just thought it kind of really good wrestling straightforward. I had uh, Wrestling Kingdom Night 2 as well, for obvious reasons. Um, you know, J.Y. with Sibushi, but also, um, I believe, uh, if I'm coming from, I think Shingo versus uh, Jeff Cobb was on that night as well, if I, if I remember correctly. AW All Out is, again, I think people um, might have been overrating it with, uh, you know, the WrestleMania 17 comparisons, but I think uh, it's undeniably a great pay-per-view. Uh, just a really fun show and very impactful for the wrestling business. Um I also had uh, New Japan Grand Slam okay. uh, in uh, in uh, Tokyo Dome specifically. I thought was a little bit uh, slept on as far as the pay per view, but I thought I had some fun matches. I think uh, we had Shingo versus Tanahashi too was in there, and uh, Akada versus Jeff Cobb kind of beginning their rivalry. Uh, which you know, as, speaking of, we might maybe we should put it in, in our best views because that was a really big look for Jeff Cobb to go toe to toe with uh, Okada several right, times this right. year um and then i uh, had to put in uh, royal rumble just because you know when it's well done and i thought both royal rumble matches were well done this year uh you know you had the the bianca and the rhea ripley shot in the end um i thought uh, and of course you know with men's you had the you know edge was randy orton lasting the entire rumble mm-hmm. um when it's 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 the most fun pay-per-view of the year and uh this year was done well and not to mention you know uh they did the the right thing with a with a Goldberg booking, which is not a guarantee for WWE. So Dude, having Drew McIntyre just the one time they got his booking right this year, fuck yeah, that's gotta, right. 
Gotta gotta give credit to that. They fucked him up the entire well, they fucked everyone else up uh to the benefit of him for the rest of the year. So that's right. Uh and and not to mention that Roman Reigns Kevin Owens match was a, a, a lot of fun, you know, and, and you know could have been in a contender for in a one of my best matches of the year had it not been for the ending. So um just a really good fun show overall. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, and my, uh, the best rookie or wrestler you've mm-hmm. heard up until this year. So for me, it's it's very simple. Daniel Garcia, uh, who worked predominantly with AEW, but is a freelancer, and Josh Woods from Ring of Honor, who is your current Ring of Honor pure champion. Did not know about either one of these individuals, and have continued to be impressed by them, especially for Josh Woods. The the series of matches he had were draw- with Jonathan Gresham. I thought were excellent. And I do believe that he has a personality, especially his stuff with Silas Young was also very good as well. Yeah, man, mine are both, again, in the, in the NXT uh, 2.0. One of them is Braun Breaker. Uh, I think the, the obvious pick, uh, sometimes the obvious pick is the right one. Never heard of the man. Uh, and he is, I mean, he's pretty much bound to be a WWE main eventer unless they screw it up, which is not outside of a possibility. But um, again, guy has, even though he's, it's weird. He's bad on the mic, but he's super charismatic. Like he can get through stumbles and incomplete sentences and everything like that just by sounds, being sounds himself. Sounds like a Steiner to me, brother. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right. He's very much like you know uh, in line. Yeah. Um, and then you know uh, a lady who I've been I've been talking her up the entire year, and I still have high hopes for. Her. I never heard of Zoe Stark until I saw her, but uh, she just jumped off the screen to me, and I remember this was a match. Um, I believe I don't remember the 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 name of the of her opponent, but this was supposed to be a showcase for her opponent, uh, uh, an Asian uh, the uh, uh, female wrestler who was debuting at NXT, who you know was getting vignettes at the time. It wasn't Zayali. I want to say it was um, Sandaya, I believe is the name. Um, you know, this is me as per usual uh, messing up the name, but I remember watching that match and being like, wow, you know, with her opponent kind of looks a little bit more interesting to me, and then moves a little bit better, is a little bit more athletic and. Every time I would see Zoe Starks in the ring, I just thought she was uh, she was awesome. She's still a little bit green. She has you know a few botches here and there, but uh, just as an athlete, as as a, with her bumping, with her selling, I just think she's tremendous. And uh, very excited to see what the future brings for her. Excellent. Uh, yeah, I think she has a tremendous upside. Uh, so then, I, the one worst thing of the year. I mean, there was still a lot to choose from. Um, Could have gone with WWE piping in audience reactions, which they seem intent on continuing to do, wounds me tremendously. Could have gone with AEW making Sammy Guevara the TNT champion, immediately rendering that title to the mid-card. Could have done any of those things. But no, far and away, um, aside from you know wrestlers passing away, the worst thing, uh, worst wrestling thing uh, this year was clearly the WWE releases uh, to me. Um, the, the, the sheer number... Uh, the random, the randomness of it, um, and the purpose for it, I just thought was really uh, despicable, um, terrible. Now, a lot of people would say, "Well, that's corporate America." That is, and that's kind of the problem. Um, but if it's corporate America, it can't be both. It has, they, these guys either have they have to be independent contractors, or this is corporate America. And WWE does a really good way of playing fast and loose with that stuff. So they can do really bad things like this. Either these contracts mean something or they do not. And for people to uproot their entire lives to go to Florida 
to then get dropped right away or to get called up and have plans change. Uh, I can only imagine how frustrating that must be for a creative uh, performer. Uh, I thought it was very classless of that company, but I do not expect a company that is beholden to their donors and their corporate interests and, you know, looking like they're constantly turning a profit to, uh, to engage in morality. Um, I just think it should be noted that they can't claim to be a family. They can't claim to be like, once you're with WWE, you're with WWE forever. When they sort of pick and choose how they want to do things. And they do things that are just as simple, stupid, and transparent as this. I say all this knowing their business practices will not improve unless they are compelled to improve. Much like they had no concussion protocol until they need to have a concussion protocol. Much like they needed, they didn't have to have a drug policy mandate until they needed to have a drug policy mandate, which can still be usurped at any time uh, by various performers. Triple H, Brock Lesnar, especially when Triple H was a part-timer, most specifically. So again, I'm not saying this to say shame on WWE for doing this. I'm saying it was a shitty thing to do. It was clearly the worst thing of this year, professional wrestling-wise, outside of wrestlers dying, outside of the pandemic. And again, they can't have it both ways. At, at some point, these people are independent contractors or they are paid talents who are deserving of a contract that matters and benefits that come along with them. I agree with you 100%. The only thing I will add, besides, you know, the all the, the human toll that these releases took, if you just want to be a selfish person, I, I'm upset that, you know, it, as we've talked, the business doesn't seem to be communicate uh, yeah. with the creative. Yeah. When creative is your business. So the fact yeah. that, again, you advertise somebody, you make me care for these characters, you make me care for Alistair Blake's debut yeah. for two months just to release him the day after he debuts, yeah. It's insane to me. You made me invest years into Braun Strowman yeah. um, just to release him. You made me uh, care about Bray Wyatt and you give him all the TV yeah. time and, and the feed and all his characters and all the meta, cool meta stuff he was doing. Then you release him. Um, again, uh, the hero. You put him yeah. on TV, you bring him up, you give us all the vignettes, you have him squash uh, some local talent, you release them entirely. Um, so again, it's 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 the lack of planning on top of everything else. Yeah. Um, you again, you will have the uh, I, I doing Bronson Reed when uh you win your yeah. championship and then he's gone. Um, again, there's just so many examples like this, and yeah, just the lack of planning that that makes again, even if you want to be a, a a bastard and ignore the morals of the decision, um, just you know, it just makes for bad TV and bad entertainment. Um. So I completely agree with you on that. Besides that, I want to kind of give uh, uh, two more things that I kept seeing this year that I think in a way is like what AW and WWE can learn from one another or somewhere strike balance somewhere in, that I don't like. I think WWE, what I'm getting tired of is seeing the same matches over and over and over again for no reason. I think they got to do better job of just running some different pairings and, you know, kind of separating people, make you anticipate the the matches without just running the same, just seeing the same people compete over and over and over again. Like, you know, even with Usos and New Day, they have a match yeah. coming up at day one. I've already seen the match, you know, two, three times on SmackDown before it gets there, not to mention all the times we've seen them fight each other for years now. Yeah. Same thing with Sheamus and Cesaro. Again, this is happening right now. Uh, how many Nakamura, uh, uh, Baron Corbin matches have we seen this year? Um on a flip side, AW, I think, can actually should do a little bit better of 
uh, building feuds. You know, we talk, I think AW does a lot of things right, uh, with the exception of Hangman, uh, Kenny Omega. We couldn't name a feud that really kind of delivered this year. And Serena Deep, uh, Hikaru Shida, which was again not one of the more prominent uh, feuds this year. So um, I think they can actually benefit a little bit from maybe running some stories a little bit longer. Uh, there's no I, reason why I, I, Eddie I, I, Kingston and yeah. CM Punk couldn't last for two months. I would say there, there's a feud. Well, you can always run those back. Um, but I would say that there is a feud that probably would have continued had it not been for unforeseen circumstances, which was Brody Lee versus Cody. Um, mm. They had all the elements in there to continue that. And, of course, the universe saw fit to ensure that wouldn't happen as we lost uh, Mr. Brody Lee. But to your point, yeah, I mean, AEW engages in a lot more feuds to get us to a thing. They don't – this is not to say they don't engage in long-term booking. They actually do. But there's a lot of fighting that goes on, you know, while this other big thing appears to be looming sometimes. But to your point, that only appears to be uh, Hangman Adam Page and, and Kenny Omega so far. Exactly. So again, just wanted to see that, you know, kind of fleshed out a little bit. And also some of the stuff they did try to do this year just didn't work uh, for whatever reason. Again, FTR, uh, uh, Lucha Bros this year just didn't hit like you kind of expected to. Uh, Malika Black Cody started out amazing uh, and then kind of got boggled down with them trying to make, still make Babyface Cody work. Uh, what was the other one? Uh, I've, I've spoken off on this podcast for my hatred for MGF. Uh, versus Chris Jericho feud. Um, you know, I just didn't think it was booked correctly, even though they gave it time. Uh, so, you know, they, they, they did try to do these things. And uh, uh, also, I actually, also, I, I do think over, over time, I think they'll nail more of them than, than they yeah. did this year. Also, to be fair, Kenny Omega versus John Moxley was a long-term feud that they actually mm-hmm. did do, uh, that they did do actually rather well. Uh, that exploding part just sort of, you know, they WCW thundered it on that one. But in terms <laughs> of the actual feud in and of itself, uh, it did. It had legs. It had a beginning, middle, and an end to it. Um, and it could be maybe even be argued same thing with the Lucha Brothers and uh, the Young Bucks. But, yes, I think they do need a, a little bit more um, continuity on that end and sort of just giving people stuff to do, which they are pretty good at thus far. But we have to remember they only have three hours of TV time a week. And uh, again, it's going to become one of these situations where either we're going to have to tune into dark because that's the right thing to do, or they're going to have to give us reasons to tune into dark and dark elevation. You know what I'm saying? Like that's, if more people tune in, I think they're compelled to do more things. Um, uh, But right now, you know, we're sort of in this holding. I obviously, I don't think the spike in COVID is going to help that at all. Mm -hmm. A lot of content for us. But again, you know, we're kind of spoiled as wrestling fans. There's more content than there's ever really been. And uh, there's, it's like, I, I can't say too much. It's a surplus of talent mm-hmm. or in a surplus of stuff. And most people just not going to watch Dark. But they might probably should uh, because AEW right now can't get no more TV time. Like They just can't. They just can't. You know, they're not WWE. They don't have these crazy contracts. That's right. Um Anything you're looking forward to um, in uh, next year? Um, I mean, uh, goodness gracious, man. I, I tr- Just that, you know, pro wrestling continues. I hope that I'm looking forward. I'm really ho- crossing my fingers and toes that Ring of Honor can actually come back, um, you know, as a, as a somewhat viable promotion. 
uh, it would really, I would really hate it if it just became some sort of whack-ass reunion uh, type of thing. Um, but I would, I like the forbidden door being open. I like the fact that people have places to go and to work. And I hope that that continues. And um, I mean, I, I know last year we were kind of like, oh man, you know, got to get through this COVID thing. I, I can't even, I don't even want to talk like that no more. I just want, you know, us to try to take the best care of ourselves and each other as we can so that, you know, we can continue to have wrestling. One thing I can say, you know, I mean, I, no, I can't even, if the Thunderdome comes back, then the Thunderdome comes back. I can't, you know what I'm saying? Like what, what's the difference at this point? They're already piping in audience noises. So, you know, everyone be as safe as you possibly can um, so that we can continue to enjoy pro wrestling and that these men, women, and humans uh, can earn a living. I, again, could not have said it better. Um, only thing to add, uh, there are some talents I hope to see on national television soon just to see how they perform. Uh, Walter has been rumored forever to finally, you know, make his uh, debut on the main roster. Uh, we got teased with Jay Wright, you know, being an impact this year. Uh, wasn't as, didn't do, they didn't do uh, as much with him as I thought they would be, but uh, if the Forbidden Door is open, I would, you know, I think it'd be incredible to see him in uh, AEW. Um, and yeah, and just, just seeing, like you said, with a forbidden door being open, seeing the talents you never thought you could see on national television, um, is one of the things I'm looking forward to. Uh, and of course, yeah, Ring of Honor, uh, as you mentioned, I hope it doesn't become the new ECW, um, essentially. Um, anything else you want to address? Anything else you want to talk about, you know, that you think we didn't touch on from this year in wrestling? Uh, I would say guys, you know, continue to support professional wrestling, Alexander Hammer uh, Stone just resigned with MLW, so they have their world champion through 2023. I'm going to just say my match of the week is CM Punk versus Jimmy Rave from Ring of Honor. Uh, make sure the link is in the description. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, a, I mean, especially if you're on the East Coast, you know what's going on out there. Continue to take care of yourselves. If you're on the Midwest, y'all should be taking care of yourselves out there. I know y'all don't believe in no masks. You should be. Stop being arrogant. And, uh, you know, have a happy holiday, as happy as you can, whatever it looks like. Guys, this has been a lot of fun. We love podcasting for you. We love doing this. We will keep doing this, uh, keep going strong in the next year. I think we gave uh, the people what they wanted. We gave them yes. a very, very long show. Uh, we'll be back next, uh, next year with our review of day one as well as the wrestling kingdom um yeah guys stay safe uh make sure you check in if you if you can be around your loved ones that's awesome if not then just make sure you, you call and check in and uh yeah take care everyone thank you for rocking with us peace peace